Today's episode of the Shameless Picture Show is sponsored by Vinegar Syndrome. Check them out online at www.vinegarsyndrome.com. Vinegar Syndrome is one of the most interesting DVD and Blu-ray labels around because of their extensive catalog of horror, cult, exploitation, and vintage sexploitation films. Unlike most companies, Vinegar Syndrome is also a restoration company with their own in-house lab, where they've done new restorations for companies such as Arrow, Massacre Video, and Draft House Films. Check out Vinegar Syndrome today and grab your copy of Dolomite, Sugar Cookies, Jack Frost, Psycho Cop Returns, Malibu High, or Nurse Sherry. While I'm a little more knowledgeable than my co-host, I can assure you that I love Vinegar Syndrome. Whenever I'm at a convention, their table is one of the first I hit, and much to my wife's chagrin, I spend way too much time going over every single title. I own more than just a few. So once again, head over to www.vinegarsyndrome.com and grab yourself something cool. Picture Show Podcast. I am Michael Byers, and I am alone today. Uh, so you know what that means. It is time for another moment with Michael. I really should get like a jingle or something that goes there. I, I, I really don't know. Um, me and Nick have always believed in full transparency when it comes to this show, and I know we are hyping up our, our Dark City episode, and that will still happen more than likely next episode. Um, as I was saying, full transparency, sometimes life gets in the way. Me and Nick record this show, I don't want to say very early, but we record the show early in the mornings, usually on a Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, um, because that's when it works best. I work retail, so my schedule is all over the place, and Nick is the, um, manager? Probably, I think that's the best way to put it, manager for a public access station. So he does most of the recording while at work. And because of this, sometimes we'll have it planned that, oh, as soon as he comes into work, he's going to set the camera so he can record the Shameless Picture Show podcast picture show for YouTube and for um, Maryland Public Access. But then sometimes it'll just happen where... You know, like, I'll be making my coffee in the morning, and he'll message me, and it's like, I'm sorry, like, work came up, and his job's always going to come first, it's just how it is. Um, Luckily, through our amazing partnership with Vinegar Syndrome Video, I had some things I wanted to talk about. I was originally going to save this episode, this just for a bonus episode, and I'm going to apologize now, this is not going to be one of our longest, it's not going to be one of our most in-depth Uh, me and Nick do our best work when we're bouncing off each other. It's just how it is. But, you know, I thought this is a good chance to work with our friends over Vinegar Syndrome and talk about a couple of their releases. Um, They had a sale a couple months ago, so I bought a bunch of stuff that I haven't washed all of it of yet. Plus, they sent me a a pre-order copy of one of their new films that's coming out called Psychos in Love. So I thought I would talk about two different films. I thought I would start off with one called Evils of the Night that I bought from them during their last sale, and then Cycles in Love. So, like I said, full transparency, that's kind of what we're doing today. 
and uh, why you just get to listen to me talk. I'm hoping this this lasts a little bit. It's always nerve-wracking whenever I have to do this by myself because I'm always afraid, oh, man, am I going to have enough to talk about? I'm like, I don't know. I feel like 15 minutes is too short. Half hours round perfect for when you're by yourself, but I don't know. I was originally going to see if my wife Amanda would come on with me, but she had to work today. And then I, um, uh, for some of those, for uh, those of you who remember my previous podcast, the No Homers podcast, where me and Nico Aldrich talked about, uh, The Simpsons, uh, we had thought about doing a one night only, or, you know, whenever we feel like it, reunion episode of The Simpsons, because, you know, occasionally it's nice to have content for when Nick is busy or I'm busy. Um, we are going to come on and we are going to talk about The Simpsons, of course, a little bit, but, you know, just. Nico doesn't get to talk about horror a whole lot, and I love talking about horror, so we are going to talk about that. But here we are, you know, by myself. What are you going to do? It's part of the game. So first off, so this is, like I said, this is going to be kind of a disc review episode where I'm talking about Vinegar Syndrome. And another full transparency, I love this company, Vinegar Syndrome. It's the reason I approached them about becoming a sponsor because I really liked what they were doing. They've been doing great things for some of the films they've released. I have been a huge fan of theirs ever since they put out Christmas Evil, which I still think every one of you should go out there and buy. But just because they're a sponsor and just because I love their company and will forever sing their praise does not mean I'm going to necessarily love everything they put out. I'm a firm believer that not everything is for everyone. And... I'm going to say it right now, just because I didn't love one of these films doesn't mean someone else out there might not. Let me rephrase that. Someone out there is going to like this film. But anyways, let's start with Evils of the Night. Uh, the tagline says, Alien Vampires in Search of Teenage Blood, all in caps. It's And what struck me and Amanda when we, wanted to, when we decided to buy this film was there's a half-naked woman being pulled down by skeletons and half-skinned hands. There's two bodies being drained of all their blood hanging upside down. And then, for whatever reason, the Millennium Falcon is just right on the cover. It's kind of awesome. Well, the cover is kind of awesome. Anyways. It's geriatric aliens versus sex-obsessed teens in Marty Russman's outrageous evils of the night. Beautiful young women have been disappearing, and no one can figure out how or where they go. But in the darkness, sinister forces are working. A group of aliens, played by John Carradine, Tina Luis, and Julie Newmar, have been draining the local youth of their blood so that they can live forever. Filled with ample nudity, moments of splattery gore, and a supporting cast, including Amber Wynn and Aldo Ray, Evils of the Night is quintessential 80s sleaze, unlike anything else. Fresh restored in 2K from its original 35mm negative, Vinegar Syndrome brings Evils of the Night to Blu-ray for the first time. <laughs> My boob! What's the matter with this pair, Buster? What was that? I don't know.
your bones eventually go fragile and break. You'd be dead within a hundred years. But with... Oh. I'm just gonna say it right now. I... I did not... I did not love Evils of the Night. Um, me and, me and Amanda, we put it on one night because we wanted something to watch that we were hoping, uh, would just be fun, even if it wasn't necessarily, like, a funny movie, just because it was, you know, goofy, and, you know, and, well, I'm not gonna lie, I had fun watching Evils of the Night, um, there are some things I definitely did enjoy about it, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's a great film, um, I need to get this out the way right away. The, I there on, on the disc there is like a uncompleted trailer for the film, which shows like its VHS footage and whatnot and how the film originally looked. And that trailer looks like garbage. This film, while not you know spectacular shot or anything, does not look like garbage. This film is wonderfully wonderfully restored where there's times where i'm watching it and like oh man if this movie would just move a little better and had a little better pacing i'd probably really enjoy it because it's so weird like i was poking around on the internet and there's not a lot of information about this film but um i was you know i just peeped out wikipedia real quick and of course the reviews were negative but uh this amused me a reviewer at the atlanta journal constitution wrote evils of the night is an attempt to introduce an appalling new genre, the teen sex comedy slice-and-dice thriller Martians Have Landed combo. And that perfectly describes this film. Because, yes, it's part alien Martians Have Landed film with, um, you know, the the older the older regime playing these these aliens as i said john carradine who honestly at this point it was not hard to get john carradine in a movie and i feel like people forget how good of an actor john carradine was because he was in so much crud uh tina Luis, who i'm not super familiar with and then julie newmar from batman she played catwoman um they've all kind of got like this like the goofy plan nine from outer space look to their outfits and they're all really rigid rigid can't talk rigid and stiff and uh you know they're trying to drain the blood of of the youth to stay alive forever um so one thing i did appreciate about them is the fact that like exterior not included because the exterior of the hospital looked really weird and it, i did not buy it was a hospital and if it actually was a hospital impressive because to me it looked like a motel uh <laughs> The interiors of the hospital actually were shot at a hospital. It had real stuff there. They had real equipment and real 
hospital beds and like i think the last review uh the last film i talked about for vinegar syndrome was nurse sherry nurse sherry had the worst hospital interiors i've ever seen in a movie it looked like someone's apartment they just painted white and they just kept using the same room and corridor for every single set all things considered i thought nurse sherry had a nice charm to it and at times it was really well shot but like <laughs> i was surprised by how well like like the sets evils of the night looked and they had some fun with their colored lighting and then there's the sex comedy aspect of it, where it's just a bunch of men and women who are more than happy to get naked. I looked it up, and it turns out some of these young actors are actually porn stars. So, you know, if you need nudity, I've heard from many low-budget exploitation genre filmmakers, porn stars and strippers are the best way to, way to achieve that, because they're very comfortable with their body, and some of them can actually act. Like, I was talking to my wife the other day about this, about the the golden era of porn i don't that's a hard thing to explain to people who don't understand the history of film or 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 uh porn uh they go hand in hand any like pretty much as soon as thomas edison invented a way to shoot film and um you know put it on a screen someone was trying to find a way to get naked ladies like on screen right afterwards they go hand in hand and they have a really interesting parallel to to each other and back in the 70s and 80s a lot of a lot of these pornographers were just were trying to make decent films that just had you know hardcore sex like there's nothing wrong with that you know there i think a good example of a film to watch that kind of shows the mindset for this time period is boogie nights go back and watch boogie nights and you'll get an idea of what these pornographers are trying to do. So, like I said, of course, occasionally you get some some um, actors that aren't too bad. The acting's a little funny in this movie. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily choices or if it's direction. Uh, watch, there's an interview on the disc of Marty Rustman, and it looks like English might not be his first language. But, um, you know, it's a choice being made. And But it looks like everyone is having a lot of fun making this film. Um... So yeah, there's the teen sex comedy aspect where it's just a bunch of kids hanging out at a beach, a lake. I don't know. It kind of looks like the exterior scenes for Piranha 3D, like in a cavernous area with a beach and whatnot. It looked like it was probably shot somewhere in California. Uh, just, you know, it's kind of like a bad ripoff of Porky's where like they're all hanging out and having fun and making fun of each other. The music is really cool. Like I actually have to say that like... I was really legitimately impressed by the music. Um, like I thought, I don't know how often I'm going to watch um, Evils of the Night, but I would listen to the score. And then looking up who did it was Robert O'Regland, who has done scores for a lot of popular movies and movies I've seen. Like I'm just going to run you through some of the titles. I just pulled up his his name right now on uh, Letterboxd. And in, in order of popularity, he did Q, the Winged Serpent, which I have not talked about on this show, but eventually I'm going to get Nick to watch because I absolutely love Q, the Winged Serpent. It was on my shame list as of a year or two ago, and um, I fell in love with it so much so that I actually wrote... Um, um, I, I try to write a discoveries list every year of, of my... You know, the films I discovered. To me... Um, I make a list every year, uh, so I try to write something over the films I've discovered. To me, 
discoveries are more important to me than my favorite films of the year. This is going to make me sound like a pretentious hipster douchebag, and I apologize. I don't care about a lot of the films that come out nowadays. I go see a lot of them, and there's quite a few of them I enjoy, but making a list of them isn't a lot of fun for me. I've done it, and I usually do it if there's one or two obscure choices um, that I feel like people haven't seen and then that will elevate me. It's like, okay, I'll make a list of, ten, of five to ten that I think are great just so I can write about these one or two weird ones. Usually if I've seen an interview, indie film I really like or if I really liked a film that most people hated. Like I wrote a, the year that It Follows came out, I had to write a list just so I can tell people how amazing I thought It Follows was. And the same thing the year The Guest came out. I thought the film was amazing. People needed to see it, so I made a list. But I, anyways, I'm rambling. Um, I had to make... A list of my I make a list of my favorite discoveries and last year um, Brian Sauer over at Rupert Pumpkin Speaks uh, if you haven't been to Rupert Pumpkin Speaks it's a, a great film blog uh, he, every year he has people he handpicks people to write uh, a little little blurb about their favorite discoveries of the year and I he was good enough to let me do it and I wrote about Q the Winged Serpent because I think it's such a unique and interesting film by Larry Cohen. I think I might have also written about, written about God Told Me To, which is another Larry Cohen film. Uh, Larry Cohen is a low-budget genre exploitation filmmaker that just gets it all right because his writing is really fucking solid. So, enough about Larry Cohen. He did, uh, Robert O'Reglan did, um, like I said, the score for Q the Winged Serpent. Charles Bronson film Ten to Midnight. He did Grizzly. If you haven't seen Grizzly, go see Grizzly. It's, it's if you mix Jaws and a slasher film, oh, and add a bear, that's Grizzly. He did the Black um, Exorcist uh, ripoff film called Abby, a Bronson film Messenger of Death, uh, another Bronson film Assassinator. He has done. Um, a movie with Ross Hagen called The Glove. He, he's done a lot. He's he's a great composer. And once I saw the kind of power they had behind this, it's like, oh, man, this music's great. So much so that one of the best features on this film is the fact that they've got isolated film score. Like, I'll probably end up watching this movie a little more often, like while I'm doing dishes or whatnot, and just putting the isolated film score on because it's awesome. So... Anyways, you've got these teenagers kind of running, like, you know, getting isolated from their pack, having sex, and usually getting murdered, as is usually what happens on a slasher film. Then you've got the slasher aspect of it. You've got famous uh, actor Aldo Ray, who is, you know, another one of those uh, genre um, genre film stars. He's an actor I, I know quite a bit about, but I haven't seen him. I haven't seen a lot of his work, but uh, to give you an idea of like his popularity with genre film, um, Quentin Tarantino uh, made reference to him in um, *Inglorious Bastards* by naming a character with a very similar um, name. Actually, I think it might be exact same name, uh, Aldo Ray. Yeah, uh, Brad Pitt's character is named after this guy. That's how much he likes him. So that's kind of cool. And then Neville Brand, best known for, uh, well, maybe not best known, but my favorite of his films, uh, Eaten Alive, directed by Toby Hooper, who is unfortunately no longer with us. Um, he's done a lot of other things, just not a whole lot that I've seen, which, again, 
is more on me than anything else. And they play these two um, fucking mechanics that are working for these aliens who come down every every so often. I want to say it's any like maybe seven or ten years. The drain teenagers and these mechanics just help find these teenagers and you know bring them to the draining hospital and help them out with that. Um, sorry, I'm just rambling now at this point. Um, like I said, I I didn't love um, Evils of the Night. Maybe it's one of those movies that I feel like if I were to play in a theater with some people or maybe invite people over, it's a film I'd have a lot of fun with. It's not super great by yourself but i feel like with the right people but these films actually might be a really amusing double feature start with this one and then go to psychos in love which i i i don't understand how anyone could dislike that film but um and just to go off of like how pretty this film it was shot on 35 millimeter like unless you really don't know what you're doing a 2k scan of a 35 millimeter film is usually going to look pretty darn good i'm really looking forward to the night of the living dead uh restoration that's coming up because i always thought that film was shot in 16 millimeter i'm looking it's shot in 35 i'm looking forward to seeing that film in widescreen for once um not a lot on here they've got um it's called alien blood transfusion it's an interview a video interview with director marty rostman uh rostum sorry uh, he kind of runs you through the history of this project, and he's, he produced some other low-budget uh, exploitation films, uh, and he talks about kind of why he went into directing uh, this one, and his experience uh, with filmmaking actually graduated, I believe, from USC. There's also an alternate feature-length TV edit of the film. I always say, oh, I don't know if I'm going to watch it again. Alternate edits of films <laughs> intrigue me. So, like, there's an alternate edit of Nurse Sherry that I want to watch. I might watch the alternate of this just because I am a glutton for punishment. Um, we'll see. And then there's an extent. There's like 25 minutes of outtakes and some TV spots. Well, work in progress theatrical trailer. Um, the pr- some pretty artwork. It's you know, it's Evils of the Night. Like I said, this is an uh, I'll even say it's fun. Like, I'm not going to say it's bad. Like It's not great, but it's fun. It's a fun, sleazy, 80s piece of magic. I guess let's put it that way. And this is the reason I love Vinegar Syndrome. No one else will put this out. And I know there's people out there like, oh, no one should put that out. No, that's a stupid way to think, view things. Just because a film isn't Citizen Kane doesn't mean it doesn't deserve a proper release and to show what the filmmaker intended because i'm a firm believer few people are out there to make a bad film everyone's trying to make a good film based on what they believe a good film is and films like this are always great because you watch it and you're wondering has this person ever even seen a movie and i don't know i i love personally having the challenge of seeing things like this because who who knows one day when physical media goes away who knows if things like this will ever still get put out like a lot of cool things came out in the dvd age but i feel like more uniqueness came out during vhs times films like this could live because of vhs and while this got a, I think this got a DVD release, for the most part, this film went unknown. And it's cool that a company like Vinegar Syndrome is 
putting it out in a way it needs to be seen. They also do the same thing of porn. Like, if anyone out there listening is interested in the golden era of porn, Vinegar Syndrome is your place to be. Alright, moving on. Do a film that I literally just saw last night, but I will go as far as to say it's gonna, it's, I'm, I have a constantly growing list of my, as of right now, it's like 300 favorite films, I want to try to eventually get up to 500 favorite, five to 1,000 favorite films, because I thought if Edgar Wright can do it, I can do it too, so I've got a list going on movie, and I've got a, it also on Letterboxd, this film's gonna go on that list, this, I just saw it, and it's like, yes, this is the film that I'm going to be thinking about for a while, and I'm going to go back to, and I'm going to show this film to people. I love this film. It's called Psychos in Love. Joe, played by Carmen Capabianco, runs a strip club, and Kate, played by Debbie Thiebel, Thiebel, sorry, Debbie Thiebel, is an attractive young manicurist. After bonding over their mutual dislike of grapes, they discover another commonality, both of them are bloodthirsty serial killers. As they begin to balance their obsession of murder and each other, they meet Herman, played by Frank Stewart, a cannibal who, upon discovering their bloodlust, attempts to lure them into killing as a means to satisfy his craving for human flesh. Bloody and hilarious, Gorman Bichard's Psychos in Love is an absurd, homegrown horror comedy which alternates between gratuitous killing sprees and self-aware parody of romantic comedies. Vinegar Syndrome presents... This lurid classic and a fresh 2K restoration from its 16mm original camera negative. I'm a psycho killer. I don't believe it. What? Me too. Get out of here, really? Really? Uh, I'm not kidding. Okay. That's Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th, part 2. Friday the 13th, part 3. Friday the 13th, part 4. And Friday the 13th, part 5. That's Halloween 1, Halloween 2, and Halloween 3. That's Death Wish 1 and Death Wish 2. That's Dawn of the Dead. That's Night of the Living Dead. The Living Dead. Day of the Dead. Yeah, I was just getting to that. Day of the Day. I mean, Day of the Dead. That's Psycho 1 and Psycho 2. Wow. <laughs> Deadly Eyes, Deadly Strangers. What do you do with the bodies after? That's I Eat Your Skin. That's I Spit on Your Grave. The Debbie Reynolds workout tape. That's the House of Seven Corpses. The house that Jack built. And the house on Sorority Row. I have got to find another job. Can I have one of these? Please, Diane. Homegrown horror comedy, I think, is the best way to describe this film. These are the type of films that I love. Like, some people can claim that John Cassavetes really um, motivated this homegrown style of filmmaking back in his time. But, like, to me, I watch this, and, like, this is going to be a dumb comparison because the film I'm referencing came after this. But it feels independent, and it feels like something like Clerks. 
where it looks like it was just shot with available money, available equipment, didn't have a big budget. They just went out there and had fun making a movie. And like I said, while Clerks came after this, I feel like you know what I'm talking about. It just feels independent and feels, like they said, homegrown. Um, Psychos in Love is... I don't know. I think it's pretty fantastic. Um, I'll admit, when I fir- the first time I put it on, I, uh, I couldn't focus, so I turned it off. And I was like, oh, this might not be the film I was originally looking to enjoy. And then I waited like a couple days. And I was like, you know what? I need to I need, I need to watch the movie anyways. But I'm just going to put it on again and see if it picks up. And it did. And I'm so glad I put it back on. Um, it starts off with Joe, played by Carmine Capo Bianco. I might be saying his name wrong. I apologize, Carmine, if you're listening to this. I don't know why you would be. Um, he's om- It almost feels like he's doing a dating tape. It's like black and white. He's addressing the camera. I found out later on through a, uh, an interview with Gorman Bichard, Bichard that he um, was kind of like spoofing oh, some Woody Allen films here where he's talking about his history with relationships and how he eventually met Kate. Uh, and intercut between this is him murdering these girls because that's what he finds fun, in uh, a, a really in a really funny um, uh, psycho spoof where they're redoing the, the infamous shower scene, and then you know he it shows him killing girls, killing girls, killing girls, and talking about how things weren't working, things weren't working, things weren't working, and then he meets Kate and it builds it up like he's gonna come in and murder her in the bathroom like he did the previous girl and he doesn't. He doesn't murder Kate. And then it cuts to Kate's close-up, and she talks about meeting Car- meeting Joe, not Carmine, meeting Joe for the first time. And it's about them, which I love. And it's absurd. I'm not going to make this sound like it's some like indie drama. This movie is fucking absurd. But in all the right ways. Uh, the description mentioned like a mutual hatred for grapes. <laughs> there is a, an amazing speech... Uh, the call I, that's just called the grape speech. Uh, I'm gonna insert a clip of it right here. And then I found out she liked grapes. I hate grapes. I can't stand grapes. I love grapes, all kinds of grapes. I hate purple grapes. I hate green grapes. I hate grapes with seeds. I hate grapes without seeds. I hate them peeled and non-peeled. I hate grapes in bunches. One at a time, or in groups of twos and threes. I fucking hate grapes. 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 I hate grapes. I can't stand grapes. Yes, Joe, so do I, but we could have had something else. The poor waiter was French. He didn't know. Well, he should have. I mean, do I look like the kind of a person that would eat a grape? No, of course not. That speech is bonkers. Um, I don't believe that wasn't the the first time he that grape speech is recited numerous times throughout the film. That's one of the last times it's recited where uh, Kate, having heard this speech so many times, actually starts getting annoyed and is just, you know, letting him do his thing. Um, But that grape speech is it gets funnier every time you hear it. And they just have this this both they both have this hatred for grapes. Um. Kate and Joe are so goddamn likable, and they've got so much chemistry. And uh, um, Debbie Tebow, who plays Kate, she's like a dead-on ringer 
for Molly Ringwald. She looks just like her. And she's gorgeous. She's funny. Um, and to this day, I don't know, like, to this day, I just saw it yesterday, but, like, I, I watched all the features on this. And while there's a lot of ad-libbing in this film, no one was... Neither Garmin Bichard or Carmine Copianco, who wrote the films, they won't admit how much was ad-libbed, how much was scripted. Um, you, they, you, make, you get the feeling that, you know, they wrote the script, and then just whatever happened on set happened, and they just played with it and went with it. And there's some amazing sequences in that where they just... Sometimes they make it feel like it's a man bites dog situation with his camera crew following them. Like at one point they're like arguing, um, like they're trying to drag a body and everything, and a boom mic comes down the frame. And I looked at Amanda, I'm like, did that boom mic just hit the frame? And she gets annoyed and looks at the camera and pushes the boom mic out of frame. You're know, like, oh my god, they must have just messed up, and maybe they didn't have a lot of money, and that's just the take that they went with. And then they start arguing. And it's the thing that's about these arguments, and it's probably be, it's maybe it's because they had such great chemistry. They felt like a real couple. There's times these arguments just felt real, and like they both looked at the camera and like, "Can you get out of here?" And they cover it, and then you know they they don't make reference to the camera again later on. They don't. It just shot like a regular movie. And then later on, there's a scene where the where um, Joe's um, on the phone, and the scene just goes on and on, and they're just you know riffing off each other and joking and uh and the character of joe just goes yeah i know the scene's over cut and you find out in the features that like car uh gorman bajar would just let the camera roll for a while and once the, when they ran out of things to say they would just you know, let them essentially let them know hey we're the scene's over and they break the fourth wall like this quite a bit throughout the film like there's actually um um a time where like near the end, they're like no, this happened a couple. This happened like three scenes ago, and then they ar start arguing about what what, what scene it happened in. And then like there's a, a joke near the end where he says, "Pardon me, while I have a strange interlude," and he just steps away from the situation, this tense situation, and addresses the camera directly. And um, Gorman Bouchard said that um, you know this film wasn't inspired by like Friday the Thirteenth or Halloween or Psycho or any of that. He said it was more inspired by his love for the Marx Brothers, his love for for Woody Hall, Woody Hall, Woody Allen and Woody and Annie Hall, or um, you know Buster Keaton and the slapstick comedy. That's what he was inspired by, and you can feel it. And while this film is definitely a spoof of romantic comedy, there's there's times where like. Like I said, they feel like a real couple. And I appreciate that. Like It definitely is a spoof of horror and slasher films, and they go a little nuts with it sometimes, intentionally. But every... Like, I have not laughed this hard at a film in a long time. And I need to talk about the theme song. Oh my god, the theme song. Just called Psychos in Love. Uh, let me play a clip. Let me, let me, I'm not even going to play a clip for you. I'm going to play the whole damn song for you. Here it is. I was slowly beginning to lose interest in slashing. I don't know. Now that doesn't mean I'm going to stop. It's just that I'm not enjoying it as much as I used to. What can I say? I'm in love. Walk into my life one night. At first I thought you'd be like all the rest. Set to cut your little bitty bits. Try 
point in the film where they have a um a relationship montage like you often see in romantic comedies where they are you know it's intercut with them doing silly things like washing the car and riding bikes and everything and you grow to love these characters as this goofy song plays it's it's great like this film has such a strong cult following they there was even a live uh stage play version of it in Madison, Wisconsin. Wisconsin, where I'm from. Uh, actually, at the theater that horror filmmaker Stuart Gordon founded back when he went to school in Madison. Um, like, I could I could talk for a while about this film and recount through everything that I love about it, but I feel like that's just going to do everyone a, dis, uh, a disservice because I think you need to see this film. And I'm going to put out an open call right now for anyone in the Wisconsin area or anyone who wants to travel to me anyone wants to see psychos in love and isn't sold based on what i'm telling you right now i will come over and show the film to you however i'm gonna make another call if you're gonna take my seal of approval if you're gonna take my word on any vinegar syndrome release like i've given my seal of approval on Psycho Cop Returns. I've given my seal of approval on Christmas Evil. I've given my seal of approval on Dolomite. Anyone who takes a chance on this film and doesn't love it, I will I will publicly apologize. But 
I really think you everyone should take take a chance and buy this film. Should give this film a shot. This film needs to become a huge hit. Because Gorman Bashar, Bashar should be making more films. He does music documentaries, and he did a slasher film called Disconnected, which I have a copy of, which is not easy to find, uh, which I haven't watched yet, but like that's the next thing I want to watch because I, I'm just so fascinated by this film and this filmmaker. Um, Psychos in Love, like honestly, has my biggest recommendation. Um the film, of course, is 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 gorgeous looking, sixteen millimeter photography. It's kind of got that uh, cinema verite avant garde vibe to it. Cuts from black and white to color sometimes. Found out that Gurren Bashard and the team they shot in like his father's house and everything, and his father put up a lot of money to help him get this because you know he said this movie wasn't made for much, but most of it went to film because this is back in the day where you couldn't just shoot this on your iPhone; you had to shoot it on film. What I like about this is Carmine, not, so I'm sorry, not Carmine, Gorman, Bashar, at one point apparently said that he never thought this was going to get a real release. I'm, I don't know the story of why, but he just thought it was never going to come out. And not only is it out in a really nice special edition from our friends over at Vinegar Syndrome, like I said, they've got a newly restored 2K 16mm scan, which uh, last time I talked to them, their, their, their scanning machine was the same one that uh peter jackson used on lord of the rings it's got two commentary tracks one of gorman bichard and carmen copianco and then just an extra one with just uh gorman there's an interview with there's a series of interviews of gorman and carmine some together some not um all really interesting they kind of talk about like their working relationship how this came to be how carmine's not really an actor but um liked making this and then there's a making of feature called making psychos which was shot looks like on vh like on a vhs camera at the time they're making this movie uh on set it's a little quiet but it's a nice little slice to see like slice of life type thing to see like what the set was like and what they were doing and it just looks like they had a great time there's a, a 45 minute q a from cinema wasteland 2016 of carmine copianco a uh, trailer behind the scenes photo gallery promotional image all that fun stuff rough edits and outtakes and extended scenes alternate opening credit sequence uh highlights from the cycles in love stage play uh and then this is what's really cool about it too they have um four short films by Gorman Bichard everything from one of his earliest ones called The Only Take which is the first time him and Carmine worked together a movie called a uh, short called Pears which is just a bunch of boobs uh, one called Bartholomew, which is a really interesting little short about murder. And then Objects in the Mirror Further Than They Appear, which is one that he made in the 2000s on video, looks like, about a, a female prostitute. There's also a book of, uh, of essays and so on and so forth. This is stacked, and I think it's fantastic. This is one that I'm probably going to display, and I'm going to show to as many people as I possibly can. So... Yeah, uh, Evils of the Night and Psychos in Love, both fantastic. Um, well, sorry, Psychos in Love is fantastic, Evils of the Night is fun, not great. I've got some more Vinegar Syndrome titles I want to eventually review. I've got one called Hellbent and one called Sugar Cookies, which is like one of Lloyd Coffin's very early films that I still want to talk about. 
Uh, I don't know what's next with us and Vinegar Syndrome, but they've been really cool about helping us out, sending us some some movies, and just being a, a sponsor and a friend of the Shameless Picture Show podcast. And I appreciate everyone out there who's listened to the show, and I especially appreciate anyone who has even just logged on to the Vinegar Syndrome website based on the things I've said about them. So... Thanks for listening, guys. If anyone out there has is a Vinegar Syndrome fan besides me, has some releases they like, chat me up on Facebook. Go to our, our Shameless Picture Show podcast page. Post some stuff. It's the loneliest page on Facebook right now because no one besides me and Nick posts anything. Uh, or just, you know, if you really don't want to do that, I'm on Instagram, Michael underscore virus. I'm on Twitter, which I don't check. Uh, I check it maybe once a day to see if anyone's messaged me. Michael underscore Viers. I'm on Facebook at Michael Viers. I'm around. I love talking movies. I love talking professional wrestling. If you've got a cute dog, send me pictures. I'll send you pictures of my dog Frankenstein. Just let me know that you're listening to the show, that you like it, and we'll keep on going, man. Like, thus far, our um, Planet of the Apes Toby Hooper episode was our longest, most stacked episode yet. And some of you guys really fucking came through for us, uh, you know, and sending us voice clips about your thoughts about Planet of the Apes or your thoughts about Toby Hooper. And that was awesome. And we love doing things like that. We want to hear from you. We don't want this to just be Nick and I talking. Like, don't get me wrong. We love that. But we love interacting with our friends. I don't like saying fans. Like, if you are a fan, that's cool, and I appreciate that, but you guys are all my friend. Anyone who's taken the chance to go on to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or SoundCloud, and has hit the play button, and has listened more than 30 seconds, and has liked what we've been talking about, even if you don't agree it necessarily, you guys are my friend. So thank you very much. Um, yeah, that's it for this for uh, for this week. I'm Michael Virus signing out. Um, me and Nick will be back on the next episode, so a week, uh, two weeks from now, as we, since we're bi-weekly, um, talking Dark City. Well, actually, I might not be back. <laughs> I'm not quitting the show. I, uh, going to Florida for about the first week and a half of October, so Nick might be flying solo unless we can get the episode recorded prior and just in the can. If we're not back next week with Dark City, Nick will be doing something cool. And then after that, we should be back with Dark City. Also, sometime in this short future, I want to have me and Nico Aldrich sit down and talk about uh, horror. Specifically, he wants to talk about his uh, his love for James uh, James Whale and, uh, and Wes Craven. So, we got some cool stuff coming up, guys. And plus, our our one-year anniversary is coming up. We've been doing this podcast for a fucking year, and it's been awesome. So, thanks a lot, guys. Uh, we'll talk soon. Bye.